What's up, everyone? Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Freary and Smith podcast. It's Thursday, February 15th, and we're excited to bring you episode 182 of the show. Today is our last conversation in our trending topic series where we've discussed some of the biggest topics affecting the Sunbelt Conference. And partner, I, I got to looking at the calendar today, and obviously the NFL's over. We're kind of in a dead period right now, other than uh, the NBA going on right now. Uh, we're 201 days away from the start of Sunbelt football. That's a good thing, right? Yeah, got, got a little ways to go before the season starts for sure, but definitely going to enjoy our off-season content as much as I can and try to enjoy basketball as much as I can. I know you like know that I'm a hoops guy, so leaning into the New York Knicks, hoping to see something good this year, and leaning into college hoops too. I'm really excited about Mar- March Madness in y- this year, both on the guys' side and the women's side. Yeah, I think uh, basketball is definitely going to be the play over the next couple of weeks. I know I'm a big baseball guy, so spring training is about to get started, and uh, we're about a month and a half away from uh, watching the Yankees play. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to watching a little bit of that. But uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, our episode on Tuesday. It was the third in our trending topic series. We discussed name, image, and likeness, and how Sunbelt athletes are currently utilizing that. If you haven't given it a listen, we'd suggest taking a moment to go back, uh, watch it, listen it, listen to it, rather, uh, wherever you get your podcast. But, Kaden, today's show is the final uh, episode in our trending topic series, and uh, we're going to discuss one that I think is is a big element uh, right now for the Sunbelt, and that's the calendar. Uh, we'll discuss the transfer portal and early signing periods. We're even going to discuss the possibility of a future rivalry week. I know fans have asked our thoughts on a neutral site championship, so we'll get into that. And I even wanted to talk about uh, the midweek games that the Sun Belt plays. But honestly, partner, there's there's no denying at this point that that college football is a year round game. Uh, that's why we're talking about scheduling. Is it sustainable for this game to be year round? Yeah, it's a good question. Though I think when you look at some of the changes and the nuance that we've already talked about in the past, and just some of the different things that are happening across college football. I think it's definitely a time to to look at the calendar like we're about to look at in this episode with it being more of a year-round sport and making the according changes. And I think when you look at the past of college football, maybe it made sense to have the calendar the way it is, but with some of the changes and the nuances, maybe we should make some changes to the calendar. So as far as it being a year-round sport, we know it's going to be a longer sport. And next season will be kind of the longest season we have just given the 12 team playoff now and just the amount of weeks we'll be watching playoffs. But as far as it being a year round support, there's no doubt. And when it comes to things to talk about between the transfer portal coaching hires, we're seeing it this off season where we're still kind of talking about and having some residual effects of some of those things being topics. This is a support now that's going to be kind of in the same vein, I think as the professional sports leagues that always have something to talk about just because of the different changes we've seen. And I think we're just going to continue seeing that the more money that gets poured into this sport and the well, as well as the coverage continue to increase too with all these changes. Well, and Kanan, I've said it on previous episodes in this series, college football is now the the number two largest sport if you combine it into a singular sport, only trailing the NFL at this point. So certainly college football and the, the money uh, are huge. We even just saw it right before we started recording this episode that a, a new deal has been struck with ESPN in the college football playoff, $7.8 billion. That's uh, some big money there. But Okay, and it's worth starting any conversation regarding the college football calendar with how crowded the month of December has become and, and even the early spring. And really the addition to that was uh, twofold. Not only did you have the addition of the transfer portal window in December, which has had a huge impact on bowl games, but we also saw the addition of the early signing day, the prevalence of that as athletes try to uh, become eligible for the spring semester so that they can participate in spring ball. And then 
after spring ball in April, we're going to see another transfer portal window. And Kaden, we talked to Commissioner Gill a little bit about uh, this specific issue, the the calendar, and it feels a little bit log jammed in December. And honestly, it, it affected bowl season this year. We're seeing more and more opt outs from these players. And uh, it definitely has me wondering if the calendar in its current makeup uh, is going to be sustainable into the future or if there will need to be changes, if things are going to to need to be relooked at. Because at the end of the day, if our argument is that uh, the reason we're doing some of this is for academics, for those of us who follow the sport, we know that academics are taking such a backseat at this point that it feels like that's a poor argument for why we have to have uh, the schedule the current way that we do. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to tackle with this topic as far as just looking at the month of December. You talk about all of those different things that are happening on the college football calendar, but then you talk about academics as well. This is the time where student athletes are getting into their finals and having to prepare for critical final exams. And I've been on teams in the past where players have had to get certain grades on their finals to play in the bowl game. This is a thing that's extremely relevant. And then when you add the element of the bowl game, teams having to play in these bowl games, having to figure out travel and figure out their schedules, throwing early signing period on top of that with high school athletes, which has become just extremely popular now when you look at the amount of student athletes from the high school level that are trying to get up and enroll early. Then you add the opening up of the transfer portal window as well. I think when you look at just the month of December alone, there has to be some change. And I think the college football playoff expanding is going to hopefully allow for maybe some room for this change. I think when you look at the conference championship weekend, maybe you can just give yourself a dead period or a couple weeks or days even for breathing room. I know these coaches will be willing to get whatever they can as far as being able to have some more flexibility to be able to recruit at the high school level, kind of pin that down, maybe separate that from the transfer portal recruiting as well, just have some division there. And then all the while having to kind of get your bowl prep done as well. And also having probably some coaching turnover in the mix as well. So I think the month of December and January have a lot of room and leeway as far as being able to do some different things with the schedule to make things easier on these coaches, because we're seeing right now the head coaching job is becoming harder than ever. And it's just we will never know kind of truly or hear why some of these head coaches are in the position they are. You see Nick Saban retiring. You see a guy like Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL level, even a guy like Jeff Halfley at Boston College stepping away from a head coaching job at Boston College to go to the NFL level to be a defensive coordinator. Even a guy like Chip Kelly, who's the head coach at UCLA, going to be the offensive quarter coordinator at Ohio State. Now, it's clear that being a head coach in college football is harder than ever, and it's kind of a job that a lot of these guys didn't sign up for. I know Coach Drinkwitz this season stepped away from his play-calling duties at Missouri so he could do more of this stuff that we're talking about and more of the responsibility that have co- head coaches have right now. Ryan Day is doing the same thing, and it's going to continue being a thing when you look at college football as it grows and there's more responsibility, not only with NIL and the transfer portal and the lack of rules and regulations we have right now, but just the schedule as a whole. And I think the month of December and January, the perfect epitome of that. And, and you mentioned it as well. April, this transfer portal window is going to open again. We're going to see head coaches kind of have to go back to the drawing board, depending on what they lose and gain through the transfer portal. But at least in that time period, spring ball will be over. They'll be able to figure out their roster and there'll be a lot more breathing room compared to what you see in the month of December. So it's going to be very interesting to see what college football does with the kind of the end of the season as it transitions to the offseason and hopefully helping these coaches out and ultimately helping the game out overall and these recruits and everyone who's involved that has hands in the football space for sure. Yeah, Kane, I think it's, you know, the interesting point you bring up is some of these head coaches that are starting to, quote unquote, move into that more of a CEO role. And and you understand it with the the current demands on this position, the head coaching position. I think another element of this, too, is we've also seen, uh, you know, in the past, a national signing day in early February was 
kind of a a holiday in college football, and we've even seen that become less and less uh, relevant over the last couple of years as more kids are signing in the month of December. So I think a serious look needs to be taken at the the college football schedule, how it's currently constructed, because at the end of the day, you mentioned some of the head coaches that we're losing from this profession. I, we don't want to be losing those types of names in this profession simply due to uh, the schedule that has been created due to all of the changes in college football in recent years and even uh, more to come in the future. But, Kenny, let's uh, dig into the Sun Belt a little bit here. And I know one of the things that uh, our listeners and uh, they asked us to ask Commissioner Gill about it, we did, and they oftentimes love to talk about, and that's uh, the addition of a rivalry week. We see a, a lot of conferences, you know, that final weekend of the regular season. Uh, take time to, you know, pit uh, rivals together and even out of conference matchups. You think of Florida, Florida State, Clemson, South Carolina, and many others. Um, but, Kanan, I think it's interesting. It's it's at least worth discussing in terms of the Sun Belt, uh, whether or not that is a possibility. I know when we spoke with Commissioner Gill, he talked about some of the logistics behind that. Honestly, I'm not sure I would be a huge proponent for that being the, you know, final week of the season. But I do think that there is the ability to consider that being at a different time. Could that be towards the end of October? Could that be early November? Because let's be honest, no one wants to uh, be playing up in Boone that last weekend of November. I mean, that's not uh, enjoyable for anybody. But um, I think it's at least worth discussing and, and seeing if that's possible. I think the, the toughest thing when you think about a conference like the Sun Belt is oftentimes a lot of those big rivalry matchups, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later on in this episode, they occur during those midweek games, which could potentially make things challenging in terms of scheduling a true rivalry weekend. Um, so I think those are some areas that that at least would need to be discussed before moving forward uh, with a potential rivalry weekend in the Sun Belt. Yeah, I definitely think that'd just be something that would just add some more juice to this conference that's already so competitive. You talk about not wanting to play in Boone in November. I'm a little bit biased and, and like doing that and don't mind doing that. But I think when I think back to that last game of the season against Georgia Southern, there's no reason why there's not every team in the conference can have a game with that much energy and intensity to end the season. We know that that battle for the belt is always a fantastic game with Troy and South Alabama, the Royal rivalry starting up. I think whichever rivalries aren't existing, I think it'd be a great opportunity as well to kind of designate them and kind of push them forward moving forward with this new conference that's realigned now and has a ton of great momentum. So you mentioned the weekday games and how some of those rivalry games are ones that are seen on TV, which definitely as a player add a lot of intensity to the matchups. And maybe there's a universe to where you can have a handful of weekday games that go into the season, go into the weekend as well and kind of spread out the week. It'd be awesome to watch Troy and South Alabama play on a Tuesday. Maybe see App State and Georgia Southern play on a Thursday and then the weekend have the rest of those rivalry matchups. But we know it's a thing that has a lot to do with the logistics. But when you see our conference schedule and you know that there's already weeks where there's no non-conference matchups and all the teams are playing in each, with each other against each other regardless, I think that would just be a great opportunity to maybe let the stars align a little bit differently and have it to where there's a designated week or weekend for the rivalry games. And I think we talk about the last weekend of the season, obviously being one that has a lot of tradition with rivalry games. That's when you typically see the rivalry games across all of college football. But if that's something that's not possible, why can't the Sun Belt be the first league to have a rivalry week that's kind of outside of that designated last weekend? So I think there's definitely some potential there, especially as the gained interest of this league continues to rise and the quality of football we're getting from this week league quite quite frankly, seems to rise. So I definitely think there's a lot of potential there. And I would just love to see a, a true rivalry weekend. I know it'd be great for this podcast and just great for the, the viewers as well. 
Well, and Caden, to your point, uh, you know, we have we've seen changes to that, you know, over the last couple of years. You think of the number of linear games that specifically the Sun Belt has had on television. I'm a big fan and big proponent of innovation. And if there were ways to further innovate, to further create opportunities for exposure, you don't have to look very far to look at what Conference USA did this past year. And they created games on Tuesday and Thursday nights that we can discuss whether or not uh, that was the, the right decision, if fans enjoyed that. But at the end of the day, a little innovation could go a long way. And if the Sun Belt has to you know, make some of those changes in order to continue to stay relevant, to get those linear uh, television opportunities, consider me a fan of it. And I think the other interesting thing, we heard Commissioner Gill talk about how certain schools you know, don't necessarily want a rivalry week on that, that last weekend of November because of students already being at home for Thanksgiving break and others. And I think the argument, the counter argument to that is, well, then pick a different week, find a week uh, that I think would work well for all Sunbelt schools. Let's schedule some of these big games and, and let's have a giant Sunbelt uh, party, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, around some of these these bigger rivalries. But Caden, moving on to another topic that, again, fans have have talked to us a lot about. And I think, uh, you know, particularly once the the conference expanded to 14 teams. There's been a lot of momentum, at least on Twitter and some other forums, uh, for this next topic, and that's a neutral site championship. We have, you know, seen the the Sun Belt Championship played at the home stadium of you know the the team that has the best record during the regular season. The last two years, it's been Troy. Uh, you played in a couple of those home championship games. Uh, Louisiana's even hosted one. And let's be honest, the atmospheres have been great. Now. The one thing that you're not getting a ton of is visiting road travel. Yes, when App State's in that championship game, they're going to travel well. But we were at the Coastal Carolina Troy championship game last year, and there was a contingent of Coastal fans, but not an extreme amount. And I think the argument that many people would have in this space is when you play a game in Troy, Alabama, it's hard to get there. And, and let's be honest, it is. You and I have made that trip the last two years. And so could potentially finding a neutral site for the Sunbelt Championship, someplace that fans can begin to plan around, uh, could that be a good thing for the conference? I know a lot of fans have talked about it. Uh, Commissioner Gill obviously uh, shared some thoughts on the logistics of that, and I can understand that from the conference's perspective. But it's at least worth considering as the footprints of these conferences grow, and particularly the Sunbelt. Yeah, definitely. We talked about the travel to Troy being a little difficult, and I can assure you that playing in Troy is very difficult. When you think of a neutral site game, it sounds like it's just a, a phrase that's coined a lot, but I think from a player perspective, it's no secret that the home team has won every single Sunbelt championship game. And at a certain point, how many years in a row of the home team winning the conference championship game do you get to the point where maybe we should just consider playing at a neutral site simply based on the fact that it would just be an equal travel matchup and an equal experience for both teams playing against one another even if you're a better you know that if you look at the Vegas lines for any home team even if it's two teams that are very equally matched more often than not the home team is going to have that kind of two and a half point advantage when you look at that and those little things definitely make a difference so I think when you talk about a championship game the most important game for the conference year in and year out I don't know why you wouldn't want that to be in a place where both teams would kind of have an equal chance of winning on paper just to start things off. So I think a neutral site game would be great for the championship game from a player's perspective and from a fan's perspective as well. If a location can be found where both fan bases could travel and get there with an easy access. We know there's plenty of places between San Marcos, Texas, all the way up to Harrisonburg. 
for the Sunbelt to kind of spread out and have a, a site that can be found that's maybe an airport that's very easily accessible for fans as well. I think there's a lot of potential as far as having a neutral site stadium game for the Sunbelt Championship, just given what the quality would be, I think, from both teams playing, having a crowd that's a little bit more divided and having more fans on both sides kind of of the, of the ball being there to support their teams and just adding more pageantry, I think, to a conference like we've mentioned is continuing to rise, continuing to rise in prevalence. And the more we're seeing other conferences adopt the neutral site, the more it's kind of clear that the Sunbelt isn't doing that, makes more questions as to why they aren't doing that, why they can't do that. So I think hopefully it's something that continue to be asked. And I think as the cachet of this conference continues to rise, it's hopefully something we could see in the near future. Yeah, and then I think the next question that has to be asked off of that is where would you play the game? Is this in a, in a Huntsville, Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, is this a, an Atlanta, Georgia, or other locations? I think uh, that would be the, the interesting discussion. Uh, and again, you know, to Commissioner Gill's point, I think there are some logistical challenges there. The last couple of years, we have seen it come down to the final weekend to determine who would be playing in that game. Uh, you know, this year, I think would have been a different example had JMU been eligible. We would have known three or four weeks in advance, and I can tell you we would have gotten uh, a great turnout for both the Troy fans and the James Madison fans as we did, uh, as we saw for them in their bowl game. So I think it's an interesting discussion and, and one that should continue to be on the front burner. And I think fans should continue to push it and we'll see uh, where things go in the future. But the last bullet point I had for this episode, Caden, in terms of the calendar, and we've touched on it a couple times already here today, is the midweek games. And the Sun Belt has historically played games on Tuesday and Thursday nights uh, throughout the season. I believe, if my memory serves me, there was seven or eight of those this past year uh, that were played. And historically, those have been some pretty elite matchups. I know you, uh, in your playing days, had quite a few opportunities to play on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We oftentimes see those Coastal Carolina and App State games placed on on Tuesday or Thursday nights. And, and it creates for great television I wanted to get your perspective as someone who has played in these midweek games. What challenges does that present? And are you for the midweek games moving forward? If you were the Sun Belt, would you be looking to uh, maybe increase the number of midweek games that you play during the year as the uh, the media money that's being thrown at these power conferences that oftentimes play on Saturdays uh, increases? Would you be looking for other opportunities if you were the Sun Belt? Yeah, that's a good question. No, I think just from a player's perspective, it's not always the easiest thing logistically. When you finish a game on Saturday, and know you have a weekday game, you have a quick turnaround. You have to adjust and adapt as a player and a coaching staff for sure as far as your game plan. You know the week of practice is going to be a lot more mental and physical and not every team is kind of cut from the same cloth of having that pedigree to prepare for those games. But kind of in that same token, it is a it is a privilege to play in those weekday games. You want to be at a place where you you know you'll have the opportunity to have certain nights and certain games in your career to where you are the only show in town. You're the only kind of football game that's being watched that night. And it's definitely exciting. I know when you're, when you're in a Sunbelt school and in a Sunbelt program, a lot of your games are always on ESPN plus, but when you have those rare opportunities, whether you're playing a power five team or playing during a weekday game, it's just always fun and adds the intensity and, and, and the effort and the energy. When you know, you're kind of on TV, you know, your people at home are watching and, after the game, when you make a play, you know all the players are kind of checking their phones to see if people are kind of putting their videos on social media of them on TV making plays. So definitely is a privilege playing in weekday games. And I think right now there's a good amount of them being played. I mentioned it's a privilege. So if you have every team kind of playing during the weekday, maybe it kind of takes some of that cachet and some of that allure away from it, kind of wanting to be a program that desires to be elite enough to play on weekday games that usually comes with a good track record from the season before or somehow earning kind of that right. But I think 
moving forward, it's definitely something the conference should continue leading, leading, leaning into. I think the more popular the sport gets, as you mentioned, the more media revenue is going to come from those weekday games. And we know this is a great brand of football. So at week in and week out, when you have that kind of on display for just the diehard football fans who might not be watching as much some about football, but knowing that, hey, they're turning into one of the conferences that weekly or, or biweekly or or however many times a month is having a great solid weekday game on, I think it's only going to help the sport. And I think even when you see things like sports gambling continue to get legal, legalized, people are going to be watching more games and wanting to put money on those games and wanting to invest more in football as a whole. So if some boat football is on that stage, whether it's a Tuesday, a Thursday, a Wednesday night, I think it's only a good thing for this conference. And moving forward, they should definitely keep leaning into these weekday games because with all the challenges that might come with logistically and physically for players and coaches, I think the rewards you get from playing on a weekday game, performing at a high level, and just the exposure you get from a program standpoint as a whole, as a whole is definitely something that all of these schools could use. Now, I definitely want to insert one thing into the conversation here. I think this is important because this bothered me this past year. Oftentimes, all those midweek games are chosen before the year, and, and there are certain teams that you know are not necessarily expected to do much in the preseason. Yes, I'm talking about you, Texas State, last year, who never had a chance to play on a midweek game, and instead we had to watch Southern Miss play in a midweek game multiple times last year, Caden. So I think that would be an, also an interesting thing to be looked at. We've seen flexing begin to happen in the NFL. I There obviously are some unique challenges in college football uh, around doing that because of you know these schools don't have as much money as these NFL teams. But I would be interested in at least some of those midweek games later in the year maybe being able to be decided a little bit later on once we started to understand who the good football teams were going to be this year because we don't want to get in a situation if you're the Sunbelt Conference where suddenly your games on Tuesday or Thursday nights are just not good matchups. Yeah, no, I think flexing games in the media going forward in all sports is going to be more popular seen because as we know, not just in college football, but in the NFL and the NBA, the preseason storylines don't always necessarily react and change and end up being the in-season storylines. You think of a guy like Aaron Rodgers who had the Jets on television constantly throughout this year and he gets hurt on the very third play of the of the season and all of a sudden you're watching all these Jets games during the season you didn't want to see. So I think that'd be super interesting moving forward and be awesome to see if college football and the Sunbelt can do that. And just another quick closing thought. I just thought about this when we were talking earlier about rivalry week. What if that was hap- something that happened towards the beginning of the season? I think what if Teams played their two non-conference games in the very first week of the college football season. You're seeing a rivalry game that has a ton of juice. If you're worried about having crowds there at the end of the season that last week, well, a great way to have a crowd there is for your first conference game of the season to be against a rival. Why not? I think when you look at both sides of this conference specifically, week in and week out, you're going to see great competition. So why not put that rivalry game maybe early in the season when the weather is ideal for everybody, when your stadium is going to be the most full and you can sell more tickets to that? I think that's something that maybe when you talk about having some of these more innovative thoughts, why why not should I think be asked more when you look at scheduling and all of these different elements of college football as the sport continues to grow? Yeah, Caden, those are some great thoughts because, again, I think innovation is key, particularly if you're a league like the Sun Belt or or in the group of five as a whole. As college football continues to move in the directions that we are seeing it move, I think it will be important to continue to find ways to differentiate yourself. Yes, the Sun Belt has already done that by sticking with divisions, by sticking with those regional rivalries, unlike some of these other conferences, but continuing to find ways to innovate uh, is only a good thing for the conference as we look ahead. Well, Partner, this has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed this trending topic series. That's going to do it for today's episode and for the series. We hope all of our listeners 
uh, have enjoyed the series as well as today's show. Don't forget, we're coming back on Tuesday. We promised you a mailbag last weekend. We had some logistical issues that didn't allow us to do that. We are going to be bringing back the mailbag this coming Tuesday. So make sure to head over to email. Send us an email at prairiansmith at gmail.com. Let us know if you have any questions that you'd love Kate and I to answer. Our graphic designer, Brett Jemis, is going to join us and help us moderate that conversation. So definitely would suggest you joining us uh, for Tuesday's episode. But that'll do it for us here at the Ferry and Smith Podcast. Here's one thing you can do for us before you go. Take a moment, share this show, this episode with one of your Sunbelt-loving friends. Help us help you by continuing to make this show bigger and better than it's ever been. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, uh, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. We really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday.